Why don't you open up your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these, take this home as our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be starting in verse 6 this morning. I don't, know if, if, I don't know about you, but at your home, do you guys ever have family meetings? We've got those times where you kind of like get the family together. You kind of gather around the kitchen table. Maybe it's over a meal and you're like, we, we need to have a family chat. We need to have a family meeting. And those are those kind of meetings where you talk about, about important stuff as a family. Now, if, if you're a, a kid, or remember when you were a kid, if your family did those kind of family meetings, you, you would hope that a friend wouldn't be over when your mom or dad said, we're having a family meeting, right? Like, you, don't want your, you don't want your friends listening on that stuff because your parents start talking about some real deep personal things. Hey, hey, we're going to talk about our finances. We're going to talk about discipline. We're going to talk about some more rules of our house. We're going to talk about that weird rash you've got, little Jimmy. Like, you just don't want that, Right? And you're, and you're like, no, I, my friend's here. I don't want you to talk about those things. Well, I, I feel like this morning as we jump into God's word that, that we're kind of jumping into a bit of a, a family chat, a family talk. Uh, we're going to talk about money this morning. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about generosity. And I've been thinking a lot about this sermon as I knew it was coming up over the, the months and weeks leading up to this Sunday. And I've been thinking about the weirdness of what it is to stand up in front of a group of people and, and, and talk about asking them to part with their hard-earned money. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I grew up watching those dudes in white suits, the preachers on TV, always asking for money, and then they spend it on private jets, and they still do this now, right? And they send it on mansions and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, man, I, I would never want to be that guy, but, but what actually makes this Sunday enjoyable for me, why I'm, I'm actually excited to get up before you and talk about this this morning, first is because of why I'm asking, and secondly is because who you are as a church, I mean, you, you, this is a, a family chat. I feel like I'm talking to family here this morning and, and you've, you've so bought into the mission of the gospel through this church and, and we've seen God do incredible things over just short of 10 years that we've been doing this together. I mean, if you were able to come out just yesterday to the barbecue and celebration, you, you would have heard testimonies of, of, of people whose lives have been radically changed by the, the work of the gospel through you, through this church. You, you, you heard people who, who, who grew up in our church, spent most of their life in this church, and they were discipled and cared for and taught through Harvest Kids, taught in youth and taught by parents here who are, who are all in for the cause of the gospel. And they gave testimony to that, of following Christ in baptism. You, you would have heard stories of people whose lives, who just recently, a few of them just weeks before yesterday, lives full of addictions, and violence. I mean, one who got baptized, and, and, and he didn't give the full details of this story, but who just weeks ago, a restraining order was, was called out on him because of how he was speaking of coming after his dad, saying he's going to kill his father. And then what? On Saturday, yesterday, he's standing up with his dad, baptized by his dad, because Jesus changed his life. <clears throat> it's awesome. And so that's why I'm excited to talk about this because, because I believe that as we give, God is using, using what you give to further the mission of the gospel. And so, so if you're visiting with us this morning, understand this is a bit of a family chat. And I'm gonna be bold in asking us, the Harvest family, as we right now sit around the kitchen table, it's a very big kitchen table, all right, as we sit around the table, 
And I'm going to ask us to give. I'm going to ask us to give to what, what we believe God's laid in our heart for the next move of the gospel in our church as we look to launch another campus. And there's no hidden agenda here. I'm coming right out with it. We need over a million dollars to finish the North Campus building and, and to have ministry needs covered as we launch that out. We're gonna need even more than that as we look to, to the next couple years as we continue to give to see maybe God does something here in South Muskoka as well to also provide a building here. But, but, but hear this. As we call out for that, that's gonna be the family chat part of this message and that's coming. We'll get to more detail about that. But this is for everyone here who would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, according to the scriptures, how you spend your money becomes an unbelievable indicator of, of what your spiritual health really is. I mean, there are other ways to, to kind of check your spiritual health, especially in other cultures. If you're in a culture where following Christ could have you imprisoned or persecuted, just standing up for the name of Christ is a pretty good indicator of where your heart is. But it seems that scripture continually comes back to this idea that, you, that checking your wallet is a way of checking your spiritual health. Scripture's pretty clear that, that there, there can be no significant spiritual growth unless you put your money and your attitude about money into God's hands. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 9 to 10, it, it, we're not there. We're going to be in, in chapter 9, but in, in chapter 6, there's this whole list given of sinful lifestyles, of, of ways of living unrepentant. You just live in it happily, and that's the way you go. And there's this list saying, hey, these kinds of ways of living unrepentant where you just don't care and you live in this sin, Scripture says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. You're not walking as an heir, as a son or daughter of the king. And, and the list includes sexual sin, adulterers, sexually immoral people, thieves, crooks, liars, and things that, that good church people would say, yep, that makes sense. You, you can't be totally unrepentant in those areas and those things, and then, then, then also say you love Jesus and you follow Jesus. But the problem is in that list is included people who are greedy, people who continually want more, people who hoard more, keep more and more for themselves. The Bible says if you live in that way, you reveal that your heart actually isn't really pursuing Jesus, that you're not actually living like an heir of the kingdom. And in our culture, that's hard to hear. And so listen, if, if this sermon, if, if you're here this morning, especially as somebody who, who doesn't come to church very often, maybe this is your first Sunday, maybe you're visiting, and, and if hearing this sermon makes you uncomfortable because of bad experiences you've had in other churches where, where people asking for money for wrong things or the way they did it, how they may have manipulated people to give, then here's, here's, here's my, my hope for you. Apply what I'm gonna preach. Apply these scriptures and be generous somewhere else then. If, if you feel like, I don't know if I want to do this, it feels like you're, you're kind of pressuring me in to give, then don't give here. I, mean, I, I would so rather that you grow in discipleship by, by being generous somewhere else to spread the gospel than to allow a bad experience to keep you from giving, to keep you from that deep joy and growth in Christ that comes from a radical generosity. 
The text we're looking at this morning says that if you've been born again, if your heart has been changed, if you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, if you've been awakened by the grace and mercy of God this morning, that you are going to be radically generous. In fact, just two points this morning. Our first point is this, why I am generous. That you'd be able to say, here's, here's why I'm generous. As a Christ follower, this is why I'm generous. So before we get into chapter nine, let me give you a bit of context here of, of what's going on in, in these few chapters here. There, there was a famine in Jerusalem. And, and the church there needed help. They, they were in a rough spot. And in chapter eight, Paul talks to the Macedonian church and he's telling them about this famine. Here's the thing, the Macedonian church was not a wealthy church. They, they had desperate needs of their own and, and, and Paul kind of wasn't even gonna ask them to give and yet they say to Paul, hey, don't rob us of the blessing of generosity. And Paul says that they didn't just give out of their abundance, they gave beyond their means. And they were begging Paul to be able to do it. I mean, imagine that. Imagine what that would look like. Where, imagine me up here preaching and I, I just kind of mention needs in, in our community. I mention needs of our church as we want to see the gospel go forward. But, but man, I don't really press it. I just kind of throw it out there as a, a mention because I just, you know, I know maybe things are tough in the business world or things are hard for our church or it's just kind of a heavy thing and people are struggling. So I just kind of mention it and I keep going on preaching and there's a bit of a murmur that goes out throughout the congregation. And, and then Somebody finally just speaks up, go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a second, Pastor. Can I stop preaching, man? We want to give to that. I'm like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Guys, I, like, I know things are hard. You don't have to give. No, 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 you be quiet. Sit down, man. Like, get Eric back up. He'll play the guitar. Ushers, come forward again. We want to give. Imagine that. I mean, how does a church get to a place like that? How does a church get to be so generous? Well, before we jump into why you would be generous, let's, let's see where generosity doesn't come from first, though. Look at verse 7 of chapter 9. It says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, so we're not generous because of being pressed into it. It says not, not reluctantly, like, like, like you'd be thinking, man, I just can't wait for this whole, whole campus campaign to be over, man. I'll give, and I just wish they'd be quiet about it because I'm done with giving. That, that's reluctantly. Also says you, you don't give out of compulsion, right? Where, where you're like sitting there going, I think Kai looked right at me. I th- I, he told me when he talked about giving, he looked, I better give because I, I think he even watches as the play goes by, right? That's giving under compulsion. That's not how we're supposed to give either. How do we give? It says, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver, somebody who is radically generous is somebody who, who doesn't need guilt to give, doesn't need manipulation to give, doesn't need prodding to give. They just give. I've heard it described this way. After the barbecue, there were these, um, all those helium balloons. My kids, I think, grabbed every single one. Or I kind of like, this is like, we're taking these, Dad. So they filled the car. And helium balloons are awesome, not just because they can make you talk funny. That's cool too. But because they just stay up in the air. They're, they're different than a regular balloon, right? If you want a regular balloon to be in the air, you got to kind of bump it and keep hitting it and keep hitting it. And then it falls again. You hit it again. Then it falls again. You hit it again. And I think that's sometimes how we are in our Christian life. 
We kind of come to church on a Sunday going, I sure hope Pastor Kai can, can kick me again and hit me up again and, and press me on in my walk with Christ. And, and you just kind of keep doing this. You ever kind of feel that way? You're like, you just sort of, man, if somebody doesn't bump me again, I'm just going to fall. Or, or instead of that kind of balloon, you can be like a helium balloon. I mean, if you let them go, they just go. So what causes that? What causes that in our life? We don't want to be people that are just motivated by guilt, not just generous for a season because there's a sermon on giving or a campaign for giving, but like generous for a lifetime. How, how do we get there? Here's the first reason why you would give, because of the gospel. I mean, that's the helium that keeps you afloat. When you remember the gospel, I mean, the gospel changes you from being somebody who, who gives to being somebody who is cheerfully generous, like hilariously giving, like smiling, and I can't wait to give this away. There's this transformation of our souls when, when the grace of God and the mercy of God is freely poured out in our lives, in Christ Jesus. We, we become those who receive this free gift of salvation. And because we get so much grace from God, we become gracious people. People who, who mess up and who are broken, we're, we're less judgmental, we're less bitter about it because God's grace has been poured in us. And, and as we experience the generosity of God in the gospel, we become generous people. Guilt will not keep the balloon up. What fills us with joy is when we see our sin and our selfishness and we see God's love and his grace poured out in our lives. When we see that there was nothing attractive about us to draw God's attention to us and that, that in spite of us, God chose us, there was nothing that we added to it, there was nothing that God needed from us, but we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is amazing grace, and it's the foundation of our generosity. When you think about your salvation, that Jesus didn't kind of wait around and look and see, and you're like, oh, wow, wow, she's really cleaning her life up a little bit. Oh, look, look at him. He, he's kind of doing better. He's striving harder. Wow, because they're working so hard, you're blessed. I'm going to give you grace. Well, scripture says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our worst with nothing to offer, Christ gave himself up for us on the cross. I mean, that's the foundation of Christian generosity. That, that our salvation is from God alone. That, that in our life, this new life you have from God in Christ, a life of joy and hope and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all these things that he's growing in you, all of them are freely given to you in Christ. I mean, you, you find a church that gets the gospel in this way. You find a church that rests their life in the gospel. You find a church that celebrates the gospel like this. You will find a radically generous church. As we see God's abundant grace, we are filled with joyful generosity. And God's grace does something supernatural in us does something in us where, where, where you live a life that's so countercultural, so different to the culture around us. I mean, it happened to the Macedonians in, in chapter eight. A church that was in need wanted to help those who were in need. 
In, in verse two of chapter eight, it says that in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their, for, from their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I mean, think about the, how weird that math is. You think the math curriculum's weird now, right? How, look at this math. Severe affliction plus extreme poverty equals abundant joy and generosity. What, what? Severe affliction plus extreme poverty equals abundant joy and generosity. How does that add up? Here's how it adds up. There's something supernatural going on in that church. I mean, there's a, there's a reality about this morning that, that makes me realize that there's, there's nothing that I can say to change hearts like that. There's nothing we can do as a church to build up a way. How do we raise funds for the gospel? How do we do this to see another campus launch? There's nothing we can do. Only God can do this. Where God doesn't allow our hearts to give in to greed, to give in to ourselves, but instead in his mercy and in his grace, he changes our hearts. God, we need your grace to do this. And you saw in the early church in the book of Acts, I mean, they sold their stuff to give. It wasn't out of an abundance. They're like, no, no I'm going to sell things. I'm going to lessen what I've got to help the gospel go forward. They sold their stuff. They sacrificially gave. In fact, I would say this, that, that generosity, isn't, it's not determined by the size of the gift that you give. It's, it's determined by the size of the sacrifice. That's where the true joy of generosity comes out. And I would say this way, that generosity, it's, it's not defined by the size of the check, but by the sacrifice represented by that check. You kind of get what I'm saying? Like I, I would say this, there are some single moms here in our congregation who outgive those who write the biggest checks because they sacrifice in their giving. Now, why would we do that? Why would we give? Why would we sacrifice in that way? Because we've been given everything in Christ. It's the gospel. Now, you see another reason why, why we would be generous. Look at verse 6. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Look at verse 8. And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I mean, God's saying in these verses, he's saying, listen, I got you. You, you can give sacrificially because, because you can trust that I'm going to take care of you. So, so why are we generous? Generosity grows in our hearts. Secondly, because of this, because you can trust in God's care. You trust in God's care. It, it's fear that, that drives away generosity. It's fear that makes us hold on tightly to our stuff, to grab more things, to hoard more things, to protect our things, to grab all we can. It's fear. Like, you know, a toddler, when they've got their toys and another toddler wanders by, right? That, that's fear. Like, you're not touching my toy. Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Then he says, sell your possessions, give to those in need. You see the connection? Fear drives away our giving, but, but then we have this trust. This trust grows a radical generosity. When see, we see that God's doing this amazing, gracious work in us, and he bountifully cares for us. It says here that he's going to make grace abound in us. It says he's, he's going to give us that we'd have sufficiency in all things. 
And we give then trusting, God, you've got this covered. We give because of the gospel. We give because we trust God. Here's a third reason we give, why we'd be generous. Because God owns it all. God owns it all. It says in verse 10, he who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We give because we understand who owns our stuff. He goes, he's the one who supplies the seed. He's the one who supplies the bread. And, And what's Paul doing here is he's writing this letter. He's blowing up this idea of ownership. Like the baker goes, like my bread, I made it, it's mine. Really? How'd you make it? With flour? Where'd you get the flour from? Wheat. Where'd you get the wheat from? A seed? Where'd you get the seed? Like, you see what, see what he's doing here? He, he's just saying, listen, listen, all the things you have, all the things that, that are, are yours. We understand as sons and daughters of the king that we're stewards of it. God owns it all. I mean, the, the grace of God as he pours out these blessings on us, it, it creates a generosity in us, but the grace of God also shows us that we have everything we have is from God. I mean, think about it. What, what, what do you have? What do you have that God can't rightly right now stand over you and say, that there's mine? What do you have that you would say, no, God, you, you have nothing to do with this. This was all me. I built this. I worked hard for this. As God says, who gave you the ability? Who gave you the aptitude? And yet, don't we struggle with this idea of, of but it's mine? Now, I kind of think of it this way, that, that I think about my kids um, when they were younger, not now because they're so much older and more mature and they're sitting in the front row. Um, like I would go to the store with my girls. Maybe you've had this too. You go to the store with your kid, right? And, and you get into the line, there's a grocery line and, and they're like, hey dad, could I have a chocolate bar? And you reach into your pocket, you pull out your wallet that has your money in it and you buy them a chocolate bar, right? Then, then they get into the, your car, you drive back home to the house that you bought. They sit in the living room to watch your TV and they open the chocolate bar and, and then you turn to them and you say what? Hey, can I have a piece? And when they say, no, why not? It's mine. What do you mean? I just, you don't own anything. In fact, you're nine. Go get a job, right? <laughs> Generosity is not just about giving our stuff away. It starts when we recognize that the stuff we have is not ours in the first place. It's God's gift to us. We're not owners. Here's the word we have to get into our head. I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. God's given it to to you as his child, given it to you as as a follower of his, given it to you to be used for his purpose. And you think of it this way, you ever heard people talk about a tithe? And in the Old Testament, a tithe was a 10%. That people would give 10% of their income, kind of as this this starting, uh, starting place of this is what generosity would look like. And some people look and go, 10%? How could you give away 10%? Maybe instead of saying, hey God, how come you get 10% of my money? Maybe we need to look at the other way and ask, why do I get 90% of his money? I mean, imagine if God came to you and said, I own everything, but I'm gonna share some of it with you. And you're like, oh, that sounds like a good deal. Like what's the percentage gonna be? And God goes, I'm gonna give you 90%. That's a pretty good deal. 
Listen, when we recognize that we don't own this stuff, we just steward this stuff, it creates an unbelievable amount of freedom. Because here's why, if, if, if you don't really own the stuff, then, then that stuff doesn't own you either. Your car does not own you or define you. You don't feel better about yourself or worse about yourself because of the vehicle that you drive. Your home does not own you. It does not define you. What you wear does not define you. Your stuff does not define you. It doesn't make you feel better or safer or more secure because you go, I'm just a steward of this stuff. This isn't even mine. These are things that God gave me to use for the cause of the gospel. I think most people, we kind of get caught up in this idea of thinking that generosity is something that God wants from us. But, but as you look through these verses here, they talk about what God wants us to gain in our giving. That we steward his gifts. You plant money and your stuff through generosity and God grows something greater from it. Something so much greater than money. Back to our second point this morning. Let's look at what, what, does, what happens with my generosity. Here's our second point. What, does, what, what, what God does with my generosity. What does he do? First thing he does is he grows you. He grows me. He changes us when we're generous. And what's he change us to do? He, he, gives us, he gives us contentment and joy. I mean, verse six says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When, when you sow generosity, you're gonna grow in joy and contentment with what you have. If, if you only plant a little, if you only plant just a bit and you hold on to the rest for yourself, you're gonna miss out on the joy and contentment of giving. There's a joy, Scripture says, when our, our hands are open to God, saying, God, it's all yours. And, and from that, there's a joy that comes from that, rather than gripping tightly and trying to hold on so much to our stuff. I mean, the, the North, North American way of thinking of stuff is get all you can. God gives us more so we can enjoy it more. And I'm telling you, there's no joy in that. Gospel-driven, biblically-centered way of thinking about this is God gives us more so we can have the joy of giving more away. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says that, that, that godliness with contentment leads to great gain. Your, your joy grows. John Wesley, a, a famous preacher said this, that he, that, that he wanted to put into practice this idea of godliness and contentment. I just want to be content. I don't want to always be grasping for more. He goes, I want to put this to the test. So, so what he did, he, he, he drew a line of contentment in his life. He said, this is how much money we need as a family to be content. He just made that line. There it is. Everything above that, he says, I'm just going to give to God. At the end of his life, he was making the equivalent in today's dollars of $160,000, but he was living off of, in today's dollars, $20,000. And, and, and he said he was overjoyed to be able to be a part of God's mission in giving away $140,000. He never lacked joy. I mean, what if we live like that? What if as a church we live like that? If we actually sat down and started thinking, hey, what is the level of living that's a good level of living for us? And that when God blesses us, we can know, well, he must be asking us to give that away because we already know where we're content. 
I'm telling you, you will not get any encouragement anywhere in our culture to live like that. Right? God, give us grace. God, change our hearts. Here's another reason, or what, what God does with our generosity. Here's the second thing, is that we get to join in on God's mission. We get to join in on God's mission. He's growing us, and then he's inviting us into his mission. I mean, look at verse 11. It says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through you will produce thanksgiving to God. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What does generosity bring? It, it, it brings you unto the mission of God, filled with joy and thanksgiving. God is glorified. People are changed for eternity. When the gospel explodes in your heart, when you start to see I'm a steward of what God gives me, I'm not an owner, and it, it frees us up then from the, the thousands of, of shallow, trivial things that choke the life out of us. We're set free for the mission. We're, we're no longer in that, that, that conquest, just a constant quest of I need more and more and more stuff and, and more and more of these things that come on for real that are soon just going to be on Kijiji anyway. They're going to be stored in our garage. They're going to be filling landfill sites. Instead, we can become stewards of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ for a dying world and, and, and our lives will be filled with something so much better than our stuff. We can see that, God, you gave me this house as a tool to be used for you, to make much of you. You've given me my, my money to be used by you, to magnify you as lives can be changed through it. Isn't that cool? You take all these horizontal things that are just so trivial and when you begin to use them as stewards on the mission of God, they have eternal significance now. Every dollar spent can have eternal significance where, where people's needs are met, where, where the poor are taken care of, where the hungry are fed, where the sick are given care. I mean, you, you read through the book of Acts, you read through church history. I mean, the early church were the leaders of this kind of life. The culture looked in and were in awe of how the church was living. The church was the culture's safety net. And actually think about who we are as a church, what you've done here at Harvest. Through your generosity, we've seen churches built in other countries that are now giving hope and life to communities, caring for people's practical needs, sharing the good news of Jesus. Here in Muskoka and Perry Sound, that, that through your generosity, that, that where there are people who are hungry, they're fed. When people need coats, they're given to them. When school supplies are needed, they're, 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 they're gotten for them. When an appliance breaks down, the, a new one is provided. When a car needs repairs, it's fixed. And we continue as a church to bring the good news of the gospel that, that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life we couldn't live to, to bring us to the Father. He died the death we should have died and then was risen again to new life, to give us new life. And we go out with that good news and we spend our resources. Why? Because that good news, the gospel we have to go out into Muskoka and Perry Sound and to the ends of the earth, that's what restores. That's what changes. That's what brings peace. The gospel. 
And so we spend our resources for the gospel. And you as a church continue to give to people who will never repay you. Why, why? Because repayment isn't the goal. I mean, the foundation of our giving is the grace of God poured out on us. We're stewards of what God's given us and we wanna live our lives with an eternal purpose and a mission. So here's where it gets, rubber meets the road for us specifically as a church right now in the season we're in. We have a specific need. And, and, and you may have noticed on your chair, there were these cards. These are ways that we just wanna help us as a church family, what's it look like for us to pray and fast through the summer? To pray about, hey, God, how would you raise up us as a family, as a couple, as a single person to give? To give to seeing a a northern campus built and running with the gospel going out. To see something happen here in South Muskoka to be built for the gospel to go out. And so that's what that card's for. It's just a a way to help us pray and fast and, and say, Lord, Lord, how much would you have us invest? How could we invest in this? There's two ways, two ways I want you to think about this as you pray through this as families, as single people, as you pray about this. Here's two ways I want you to pray. Pray about how you can give right away. We're using funds that we've already had stored up in our growth fund to to begin the renovations of that building, but those funds will not last forever. So, So even now that you'd be praying, Lord, how much could we give in a lump sum right now? Maybe in the next couple weeks, maybe sometime this summer, maybe you've got some funds saved up and the Lord's pressing into your heart. Maybe, maybe you've got some stuff that you could sell. I mean, you could just rock it like the early church and go, you know what? I'm selling some stuff so I can be a part of this. But that you would seek the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have us give? How would we sacrificially give to this right now so the work can continue? And then I'd ask you this, that you would pray and fast about next year. Lord, what would we do with our lifestyle next year? God, how would you increase my giving? Lord, what are some ways that I could actually give more? That I could look at how much I give and I could say, you know what? I think I could give more. I think I could move this right here. And I could say, I want to add that because I want that to go to the growth fund because I want to see this continue. Here's what I'm asking. I'm not asking you to to respond to me about this because I can't do anything. I can't preach a great sermon to make you give more. We can't come up with a great strategy to do this, but I would ask you this, take it to the Lord. And here's the thing, even in me asking such a specific request this morning, here's what's most most important. Don't get lost in the, the actual ask, but here's what's most important. God is after our hearts, not how much we give. God wants our hearts. So, so what's the state of your heart today? When you give, when you give, are you a, a reluctant giver or, or, or do you give because you're compelled to give? Or listen, do you have a heart so changed by the gospel, so filled with joy that you have a joyful, generous spirit about you? I mean, that's what we have to get to the bottom of. I mean, and here's where, where your wallet can shine a huge light on your heart. And it's not a comfortable light sometimes. It can be scary. When, when you start to dig deep in your heart and go, man, where am I really at as, as I worship Christ, as I follow Jesus? I mean, what do I really love? Where is my hope? Am I really on mission? Is my life really about eternal things? 
And that, that light can be an uncomfortable light, but it's such a good light. Because even as it reveals sin and hypocrisy, it's so good because it's, it's, it's revealing it in a way that we no longer have to live blindly in our sin any longer. We don't have to live a lie. We can make a move toward the gospel again. So, so this morning, I want to ask you, do you understand the grace of God? Like, does that just explode into your heart? I cannot believe that God would choose me and save me and change me. Do you see yourself as an owner or a steward? Are you on an eternal mission? Or does your stuff define you? The car you drive, the house you live in, the place you work, what you wear? Are you constantly finding yourself needing things to quiet your soul? Man, I get that. Man, I, I go into town. I'm not even looking to buy stuff. And, and, and man, I just run into things. I'm like, man, I could need that. I, that would be great to have that, right? I don't know what store that does it for you, right? Maybe you wander into Home Depot and you're like, whoa, new cordless drill. I so need a new cordless. Well, I know I have a cordless drill, but not like that one. They're newer. Or, or, or maybe it's electronics. Maybe you're like, man, you know what? I need that phone so bad that it, it turns on when you just look at it. I've been using my finger to push a button. That's so last year. I need that phone, right? Maybe for you it's clothing. Man, I need a shirt. Honestly, come on, honestly, right? None of us need a new shirt, right? But we sure want new things. I get that. Man, new stuff is intoxicating. So again, think, am I a steward or an owner? Am I, am I generous because when, when the gospel becomes real, when the reality of who Christ is and what he's done, when that fills your heart, it produces worship. And our hearts are moved away from worshiping our stuff to worshiping Christ alone. It produces a radical, joyful generosity. And it says here that God loves a cheerful giver. And as we give, God promises us here. He promises us. Let's test the Lord in this. He says, I'll change lives when you do this. First, he'll change our lives as we give, and he'll change others who, who the giving impacts. And, and listen, God's already used you to send out missionaries, to train leaders, to bring healing to broken lives and busted up families. And the final result as we continue to ask God for more of this is God is going to be glorified. So as the worship team comes up this morning, I want to see it this way, that that giving, giving is a way for us. When we radically give out of a joyful generosity, it's really a way for us to scream out, Jesus is worthy. That, that's what giving is. I think of in Revelation chapter five, where you have all the saints gathered around the throne, all the elders, all the people gathered around the throne, and they're gathered around worshiping Christ. And it says in Revelation 5, 12, they're singing this. They're singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Sing, he's worthy. Millions will be singing, he's worthy. Worthy of what? Worthy of our wealth. Not, not saying that he needs our wealth. Saying he's worthy of our wealth. Listen, that's the song we're going to be singing in eternity. Jesus, you are so worthy of my stuff. Here's the thing. 
I don't want the first day I actually sing that from my heart to be when I get to heaven. I want to live now like I realize that Jesus is worthy. Where my, my whole life is singing that truth. I pray that you join with me on that, that as a family, that would be how we're marked. Marked as ones who are radically generous. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the brothers and sisters who are here this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come together like this to, to allow your word to press in on us. And, and my hope is that this morning you would be, even right now, Lord, in our hearts, beginning to loosen our grip on our things. God, that as a church, we'd be marked by joyful generosity. that we'd shine brightly against the backdrop of our culture as we live out the gospel in this way. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the cross, the foundation for all of this. Because we know that without your free gift, without your, your, your grace, without your spirit poured out on us, without our hearts being transformed, that none of this would be possible. And Father, I pray for those who are here this morning who, who don't know that grace, who are, who are not followers of you, Lord Jesus, that this morning, that they would, they would begin to recognize your grace and your love calling out. That they'd see your grace above everything else today. Lord, we want to live our lives in such a practical way that shows that you are worthy, that your name is higher than any other name that you're, you're more worthy than any throne we could ever have. Anything else in this amazing world you've given to us, your name be exalted. We love you. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray and we sing. Amen.